Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am Kevin Cole, and I'm joined again, as I will be every Tuesday here going forward, by Ryan Paganetti. Ryan, former coach and game management specialist. First of all, Ryan, I want to say uh, props not only to you for being here, of course, but props to your social media team, because I've been looking on here, and a week ago, I think your follower count, somewhere around 400-ish. I'd like to say that you got you know, the unexpected points bump. And that, that's what caused this to right. uh, to skyrocket up to well over 2,000 here. But I think it may be more um, the, the, the timely uh, Thursday night tweets that were going on. And I expect more of those this Thursday night because we have a couple of more uh, division rivals, former division rivals of yours that you can give away all your trade secrets on. Yeah, um, I had some fun with that after six years <laughs> of really not saying a word on, uh, on any of these games. And... I guess this Dak Prescott tweet that I put out there kind of went viral because, you know, part of my job was sort of studying for really any tip that we could get with the Eagles to particularly with the division bonus, get a jump on. And he had something that was, you know, he'd been doing since at least 2017. He did it in the game and it, um, I mean, I'm sitting there watching it. I'm like, okay, well, they're running the ball here on third and three and Tampa stops them there. And I just kind of pointed that out. And I did not realize like what going viral was like. And my phone had so many notifications. I'm like, do I need to like get a different application to deal with all the notifications or something like that? And um, actually on Friday, I got a, a text from a head coach and they apparently saw my Twitter. I guess they probably have a Twitter egg or something. And they, um, they said, stop giving away all your good stuff. <laughs> So I'm trying to like balance that. Like, That's what right, I was thinking it. about a little bit. Cause I was going to like pump it up and I was just like, mm, wait a second, maybe this looks bad, but okay. This is something I want your perspective on though. Not just about this Dak Prescott thing, but I've seen after games where defenders will say, Oh, we, we knew what play we, we knew what they were going to do. There was a signal that we had. And then normally it's in the context of it was a destructive defensive performance. And then people really jump all over that as if the Austin's coordinator is not doing something properly. I think it, I think it happened a little bit with the Ravens where Lamar Jackson saying, Hey, they kind of know what we're going to do with Greg Roman last year and this and that my like instincts have always been to say, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's nice to know like if the team's going to run the ball or if they're going to pass the ball um, at the same time, you know, if the chiefs told you they were going to pass the ball every single play, I don't think it's helping. Like it's not helping a lot as, as, as a defense, what's going to happen. So I feel like those things get overhyped, but how do you think about it? Um, are they overhyped or is it really that important because it's like free, it's like a free gain that you're getting essentially, if you could pick those things out. I think to some degree, it's a little bit underhyped just from the sense that it is so obnoxiously hard to stop people like Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or, Tom Brady, that you could be in the perfect position and it's just hopeless. I saw a replay of this throw that Tom Brady made to like on a crosser. I think I saw like the, the end zone copy yesterday and it, it was just ridiculous. Like it's, it's like if you were playing defense against this in Madden, you would just shut off your Xbox and just be like, I don't want to even play this. I think Micah Parsons was trying to like cover Gronk or someone like that. But yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I think, um, Generally speaking, any particular edge is something that could be valuable. I think some of the signal stuff is a little bit overstated because it's, it's fairly infrequent. And if you're going up against a guy such as Peyton Manning or Brady or uh, Aaron Rodgers, they may be very discreet with their signals or they mix up the signals. I've seen some teams use the same signal for an entire regular season. And then in the playoffs, the first time they do it, it's, it's the exact opposite of what you would expect. Yeah. So maybe it's like, um, 
it's like an out concept and then the, uh, they do it, the signal in the playoffs and it's an out and up and your corner is jumping the route thinking he's got a pick six and a game changing play in the playoffs. And he just gives up a 50 yard touchdown. So there's a little bit of a cat and mouse game there, but I think for the player standpoint, everybody in the organization, players and staff is doing whatever they can to try to slow down the other team. And even just from a confidence standpoint, if some of these players can, you know, get off the ball a little bit faster or cheat their coverages a little bit to try to gain those, those tiny edges. The game is, I mean, so many of the games end up coming down to these very last moments that you look back at one particular play. And I mean, the, uh, the Dallas play, if Dallas gets a first down there and extends that drive, what, how do, how does the rest of the game play out? It was Tampa had Tampa picked up on that signal and it's sort of something to think about just sort of in the magnitude of the entire game. And, um, I definitely think the players love that stuff. If you say have a signal or you have an idea and yeah. or a formation, you know that they're going to run, you know, this concept or that concept. And then it comes up and the confidence that they can play at and the belief that they have in the coaches that the information that they're being told is, is useful. So yeah. it's a little bit of a, um, it's an interesting game. And, and I think that for me personally, just knowing that new England has been studying this stuff in depth for 20 plus years, and they had arguably the greatest stretch in the history of the sport. I think that is all the information I need to, to know that I felt like to some degree, this stuff was really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, I think it definitely has value. I guess it's just, there's like this thing where if a team thought that they knew like the, the, t- the other team signals, and then they get blown out by 20 points. You know, no one's talking about it in the media after. So it's like, Hey, we, we knew their signals and we lost by 20. Right. So they're talking about it in the context of like it being important. And another thing is now these are more minor, maybe more minor things, but sometimes we're having like this romoization, I would call it of the color commentators. And I think we're also seeing with this, this man, the Manning brothers last night and what they were doing there where you're getting more, like people are eating up the stuff where they're able to point out, Oh, he's checking to this. He's going to that. And sometimes when they're like, Oh, it's going to be a, a, a run to the left versus a run to the right. And you know, the signals I'm making this up. This is probably not, but the signals would be like, Oh, he said, Larry. So it's going to be to the r- left versus Roger. I think to myself, these are the, the least like uh, hidden signals I've ever heard. They seem like very, it's somewhat intuitive sometimes. So that's another reason maybe I thought it wasn't that important because there's not exactly like world war two code breaking going on here when you're figuring out what these teams are doing sometimes at least. Yeah, I, I sort of approached it because part of my job ended up being, I guess, the code breaker. And I was <laughs> you know, spending a lot of the offseason dissecting all these things. And I had a lot of fun with it. And I was shocked at times at the simplicity. So I, I had no background. I, I mentioned this on the Thursday night bro- broadcast. I didn't know this, the audibles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but when they got under center and Tom was at the line of scrimmage and he was screaming something red something read something well just from my experience anytime you hear something with an r word it's probably yeah. going to the right and just because <laughs> formation it appeared like you know and the defensive front and and the alignment and the, the box it looked like you know they probably were going to call a run and it probably was going to the right and sure enough it's to the right now the actual concept the word he used i don't remember and it, and it was hard to hear um but that would designate what sort of run concept they were using yeah. and i mentioned that when i tweeted it out i said I wouldn't be surprised if blue meant the other way. And then like something like 10 plays later, Tom's up there alerting at the line of scrimmage <laughs> and he says blue, whatever. And sure enough, it's a run to the left. And it's really funny because 
people think that these like codes are so secretive and hard to decipher. And I just, I basically just guessed that off of L and R words and it ended yeah. up working out. But, um, well, wait, think- one thing I'll say about that though, is like, I kind of, okay. I kind of understand the simplicity in that if your own team, like, doesn't get the signal correctly if they can't remember it. I mean, you need 11 dudes, right. To all know what they're doing. So if they get it wrong, like it's fuck, it's disaster, right. It's total disaster. If somebody doesn't, doesn't know what's going on. So I get the simplicity there. And number two is like, even if you knew that, is there any way for the defense to really number one, act on it in a way like, cause someone has got to be a, the decider to say, can we audibleize back? Can we move? Can we think about that? Or do individual defenders have to make that decision? So that's number one. And number two, you also have to have the confidence that you're correct because you could be making an adjustment and then be wrong on the, on the adjustment also. Right. I think um, it's sort of a decision, particularly from your coaching staff of what information are you going to use? There was stuff that I would have that, you know, popped up over the course of one or two times over the course of a season. And my confidence level in using that information was limited, but something else might come up 15 times. And it was the same thing every time. And your confidence is much higher. Um, One thing I'll say is if you're going to be breaking codes, the worst thing to do as a defense is start screaming and yelling or, or changing your alignments and, and alerting the offense that, you know, and that that was a problem with the Eagles. There was like a time that we were playing the uh, Seahawks and I'll find the clip or something and I'll post it on, on Twitter. We knew exactly what the play was and it was early on in the game. And we had four or five guys screaming and yelling and pointing out where the ball was going and I don't think Seattle used really too many words the rest of the game as a result because yeah. it was just so blatantly obvious that we had picked up on some things. Um, but for example, if you're a uh, defensive lineman and you know it's a pass or you know where the center's going or you know that a, a guard's pulling or that they might run a trap on you, like a trap is a typical run that can really pop you for a big gain. But if your defenders or your linebackers know that that's coming and you've got a chance to create a tackle for loss situation and, and really make a play there. So um, I think ultimately the players have to play in the techniques that they're taught to do and the scheme that they're being asked to do. But if they can use that information to get a beat on things or get a jump on things or um, say a player has a, a run gap and a pass responsibility, if they can sort of cheat in one direction or the other based on the information that they've gathered in the game plan, I think that that really can make the difference when you see an interception by two inches or three inches where, where a player can just barely get their hands on the ball. Well, that may have happened before the snap because of the information that they were able to dissect. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, I mean, I think that may be like, if you were going to implement it, one of the better ways to do is say like, who are our, like, let's say three key guys on defense that we're just going to want to maybe give them a little bit of training so that they can just know themselves, right? They don't necessarily have to realign everything, but have a little bit of that knowledge themselves. And um, yeah, well, this is, you know, Hey, got everyone out there, follow Ryan on Twitter at Peganetti Ryan. Uh, if you are crypto, your crypto uh, to followers, maybe artists interested in this, but you can get away from crypto. Cause people were like, <laughs> I just want to know about, football stuff. You still got the laser eyes on there. So, so, so that's good. So you got a hidden signal there. Um, okay. So what we're going to do though today is I want to go in depth into the Cleveland Kansas city game, just because I thought there were a lot of interesting choices there. Um, and you know, hitting on too many games, it can get a little confusing. And then maybe we'll hit a few games later on after that, that where I think after crunching some numbers on 
some of the more random events, some of the success versus, you know, long plays, so all that other sort of stuff where the results don't really jibe with, I feel like how well the team's played. And, you know, that could be good maybe for people who are even betting or just thinking about how good these teams are, are going forward. But before we go into that quickly, I want to hit the fact that, uh, PFF subscriptions. I just want to make sure everyone realizes it's out there. Week one is done. We have all the player grades now going forward. We have all of the prop tools. We have everything else that you're going to want, not only for betting, but for fantasy, uh, my showdown articles, which are for the single game contest. So I just want to make sure everyone is aware that, that you can find all of that on PFF.com. Okay. So let's talk, uh, like I said, this is the game I wanted to highlight. Number one, I think we, I think I, we probably have a decent Browns following. I feel like on here because of the fact that they've been the analytics team, one of the analytics teams here. So I want to talk about the KC Cleveland game. Um, the headline thing, right? The headline thing here from, even though I know so many people are bored with the fourth down discussion, some people are saying that they're bored with the fourth down discussion who were analytics people. I, I'm not bored. Uh, Cause I want to talk about some of these was the fact that Stefanski had gone for it a couple of different times. Uh, Reed chose not to do that. So there, there's a little bit of thing going on there. And I also think what's interesting is I've heard some uh, recaps of this game. Cause a lot of people are starting with this game and recapping this game. And Again, I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect as far as looking at what is important and what is somewhat random. I mean, for instance, I, when I listen to some of this, a lot of people don't even mention the, the Nick Chubb fumble until pretty far into it, or maybe not at all, where in reality, it was probably the second most important play of the game after the uh, most impactful from an EPA perspective, after the 75 yard bomb to Tyreek Hill, that, that Mahomes played there. So it's hugely, hugely impactful. And that's something that people maybe were not talking about enough there. Um, so let's talk about these fourth down decisions first. So just, just a, a little background here. Uh, the first one was on the first drive of the game. It was fourth and three from the 15 yard line. Um, what was interesting about this one, and I want to talk, Ryan, I want your perspective on this one here is that if you crush the numbers on that, it's not like a huge go for it signal. I think some people think fourth and three, um, you should definitely go for it. But what I think is missing from some of these fourth down discussions, and this is a reason like I'm kind of going to pump up and say, this is why models are good on this sort of thing is the fact that you have not only your chance of scoring, right? So as you get closer to the end zone, your chance of scoring the touchdown goes up. Um, but, it, but it doesn't really go up exponentially until you get pretty close. So even on the 15-yard line, it's nowhere close to like what it is, how much it's going up when you get inside the five, inside the three, two, one, and so on. Um, but your chance of making a field goal doesn't really go up the closer you get, right? Mm -hmm. You're on the 15-yard line, it's a gimme. It's a gimme from there. If you get to the 10-yard line, it's still a gimme. So the only way that you're getting a benefit from going forward and converting here is if you're scoring that touchdown. If you're going to kick a field goal anyway, it doesn't really matter. But as you get further away from the end zone, it can, it's, it's like it's a better decision to go forward on fourth and three from the 40-yard line, from the 35-yard line, from the 45-yard line. It's a much better decision there than it is from the 15-yard line. But, it, but intuition, I don't think, would tell most people that because it's like, well, the 15 is closer to the end zone, so it's better to go for it on the 15. Yes. Um, it's sort of interesting because inside the, inside the 10, you're looking at a lot of the fourth and threes would be leaning towards going for it from an analytics perspective. And then there's this weird dead zone yes, where it becomes more of a toss up, you know, depending on how, what your model saying for conversion rates or how you're valuing a touchdown and field goal, whatever. 
I personally think a lot of the fourth and threes, you know, might at this stage be still go for it situations, just given the current state of the NFL, but depending on, you know, what expected value points you're using and whatnot, um, it's a little bit more of a discussion, but the, one of the interesting things to me and kind of what you're talking about with the drop-off in field goal rate being so low, I think a field goal attempt from the 15 yard line is essentially the same as an extra point, which is going in, say an extra point goes in 95% of the time. Well, maybe a field goal from there goes in 93% or something. And part of that drop-off may just be from the fact you have like a clock and you have to run your team out there as opposed to after a touchdown, you really have plenty of time to set that whole operation up. Um, and it's a little, sometimes I think that the operation can get a little bit jacked up. But for me personally, I actually had came up with this strategy and I don't, I think we may have done it one time in Philly. And I, I thought personally, we could have done it a ton of times, but if we were in a situation where we were far enough up there, you know, inside the 10, inside the 20, and we felt like it was not a go for fourth down situation or the head coach did not want to go for fourth down, but we felt like if we got a five yard penalty for a delay a game, the change in field goal conversion rate was so low that it barely impacted the expected points on the field goal attempt. So my strategy was to essentially line up like we were going to go for so many of these and just utilize hard counts as sort of a, from a risk reward standpoint, there's nothing to lose. If they somehow jump, snap it, you know, do the Aaron Rodgers try to throw it in the end zone. If they don't jump, Say it's, say it's fourth and goal from the six-yard line and you you decide from an expected points and win probability standpoint, you are not going to go for that. Well, what's the difference between kicking a field goal from the six versus kicking a field goal from the 11? It's nearly nothing because the kickers are so good, maybe one to two percentage points in your field goal expected conversion rate. So at that stage, what I would recommend is line up on the ball and – you know, line up in a legitimate formation and give off the perception you are going to go for it. Use a hard count, do something unusual, maybe like line up in an unusual look and, and make a defensive corner and have to worry about it later on in the game and be like, and be thinking, wow, what was that unbalanced thing that they did? Now we have to spend some halftime uh, talking about that situation. Well, anyway, say they do jump and you get a free play. Maybe it's incomplete. Now you're in fourth and go from the three and you have a discussion. Do I go for it? You know, some models might say, go for it. They don't jump. You take a delay a game early on in the game and it's fourth and 11 and you just kick a fourth and goal from the 11. You just kick a field goal and pretty much nothing changed. And it was a asymmetric bet from trying to give yourself an extra chance there on offense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think here too, when you're, when you're modeling some of this stuff, I mean, you can build in like how much of a favorite one team is you can build in how good their offense is versus how good your offense is. It might be difficult to model like the Kansas city chiefs in some of these circumstances, just because like you're pressing so much. So I can see even in this situation where you have a very slight go for it advantage, according to at least our model on this, that it, you, you're going to lean towards doing that against, against the chief. So, so, so I, I get that there. So we had that one was first. And then on the same drive, I think there also might be a little bit of confusion on the, the two point conversion attempt, because if you weren't paying attention to the sequence of events, um, you may not have seen that it was, you know, they did line up to kick the extra point. There was a penalty. The, they had the option of moving it to the one yard line instead of the two yard line for the two point conversion. And then they took the two point conversion after that. So it wasn't like an aggressive, you go for two. I think there's like a sequencing issue where even if you think you have a slight 
plus EV going for two, you don't necessarily do that um, on up by six at, at the beginning of a game, you still kick the extra point. So that's another thing where getting that incremental conversion probability from let's say 50% to 60% is what makes the difference. And that what Stefanski was acting on, not just like we're being aggressive and going for two always. Yeah. So one concern there, and I, I actually wasn't watching that moment live. I think if the option is go for two from the one, you're the looking one, at yeah. conversion rate somewhere around 60%. So just simply the expected points on that attempt is something like 1.2 compared to, you know, if you already had made the extra point, it's, it's compared to 1.0 from the extra point. But one consideration that I am not sure what the penalty was, but in my opinion, and from the numbers I've looked at, if it's a 15 yard penalty there, I would take the 15 yard penalty on the kickoff with the condition that the special teams coach understands what you're doing and you're going to kick off from the 50 and you're going to, at that point, attempt to do some kind of like mortar kick or pooch kick to try to, you know, land the ball at the five yard line and then rush up there and, and get the, the returner down. Because from what I've, I've looked at and sort of projected this a little bit with the, the current state of the kickoff game, I think if your kicker is doing that intentionally, you're looking at an average and median starting field position of the other team as something like the 17 or 18 yard line. And because of that, so the, if the median and average starting field position is typically the 25, those seven or eight yards really from an expected point standpoint can outweigh the, the gain you may have got from going for two from the one compared to an already made extra point, if that makes sense. No, 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 that, no. that definitely makes sense. Yeah. I think that's something to think about. Like you mentioned on those 15 yarders, uh, I believe this one was encroachment. So it wasn't, it wasn't a 15 yarder, right. but, but yeah, that, that, that's another thing people probably are not really weighing in their consideration. Right. right. And, and, and our, just how to do that. Yeah. And our guy, Kevin Kelly would, which I don't necessarily disagree with him. He, he most certainly would have taken the penalty on the kickoff and then onside kicked. Yeah. Onside kick. Of course. That's a whole yeah. nother discussion. And I, and that's an interesting deal too, because you're looking at, okay, what's the risk reward there? What's the conversion rate? Unfortunately, it's sort of an interesting question because it, in my opinion, you know, the actual success rates of these onside kicks doesn't totally reflect, reflect, what your chances might be if it's a surprise onside kick. So um, sort of projecting that and modeling that is sort of an interesting discussion because yes, the, the onside kick and uh, success rate is, is bad. It's not good. I know Detroit got one yesterday, but it's really poor, but that's right. usually they've, they've, they've changed off. the rules. So you can't get that running start anymore yeah, on, the, but, on the kicking team. But if it's some kind of surprise component, I think there you, you'd be looking at a higher number, but the exact number is hard to say, but if you're, the, if you're the Browns, at what point do you look at that and say, okay, well, if we have a 15% chance of getting a surprise kick and it's from the 50 and their average starting field position is going to be the, their own 35-yard line and we're an underdog here and we're playing Pat Mahomes, is it worth it to do this? And I think that's sort of another interesting discussion that's like we could go for a while on that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no no doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, uh, the, 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 other, the next fourth down decision – there's an angle that I want that, that I want to get your feedback on on this one, because this was like an obvious one. It was less than a yard. They were on the, the five yard line. They end up running this trick ish sort of play where they're giving it to, to Landry on more of like a, I don't know what you call it, jet sweep end around, whatever you want to, wherever you want to call that sort of play where I don't know this for sure, but my intuition would be 
there's a higher probability that you're ha- you're housing that than a normal running play, but there's also maybe a higher probability that you're getting denied, but I'm not sure that you're like losing a yard on a play like that, where it's, where it's less than a yard to go. What do you think about, do you think that that play choice in particular is something where you're thinking about the probabilities or is that just a call based upon your assumption for how the defense is going to play? So it'll be, it'll be open essentially because they'll be so concentrated on Nick Chubb going up the middle. I think uh, it's sort of a complicated issue there in the short yardage situations, but um, I certainly like the, the the jet sweep stuff more on fourth down as opposed to if that was, say, third and a half yard. In my opinion, that's far too risky because you're looking at a significant loss yardage play, or at least the, the chances of a significant loss yardage play are much higher as opposed to a sneak or a fullback dive or uh, uh, just a downhill play with Chubb. You're just the, the likelihood that you're going to end right. up you know, going from third and a half yard to fourth and two and a half is much higher if you're running a jet sweep. And even, I mean, Landry sort of got, there was, there was some penetration where he had to make some guys miss to get yeah. that thing. Um, Oh, but just, just to quickly like like hit on that because I think that's an excellent point. Um, because like on just to, like maybe this is making it too easy for everyone understands this, but just to point out, you know, like on fourth down, all you care about is the conversion or not, and then on uh, third down, you care about the yards because a fourth down coming <laughs> coming right. up next. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I think I saw, for example, I think I saw New England have a couple of these yesterday, and they they were like running toss plays on you know, third and very short and then losing yards. And that's <laughs> my opinion, you know, as good as Belichick is like, I would, I'd be out of that business. I would not be looking to be taking on higher variance plays on third and short, just knowing, you know, particularly where we might go for fourth downs, but you're, you're potentially having a lost yards play and then putting yourself in a field goal or a punt situation as a result. Um, I think in general teams are getting a lot better at just deciding that, okay, we're not giving up quarterback sneaks because that was something I think I mentioned in the past that we were doing in 2017 with the Eagles is we just had this mindset of, okay, we're just going to run a sneak first, first, almost anything. And we might dress it up differently and, and look different ways, but we're going to jam this thing forward knowing we have, if it's, especially if it's third down, knowing we have that fourth down in our back pocket, but teams are coming up with creative solutions to stop the sneaks. And then that's, creating a whole nother situation. Okay. Is there, are there outside runs there? Are there running back runs there? Are there pass plays that are there? I still personally would be out of the past business on a lot of these very short yard situations, just based off the data that I've seen, because even, even against cover zero stuff, it's, um, it's tough. You're looking at almost a 50, 50 proposition on a fourth and inches. I think Arthur Smith had one yesterday. He, they ended up converting it, but, uh, or, on Monday or sorry, on Sunday, but it was fourth and probably six inches. And he runs this like short boot play. And all I could think about is, you know, the conversion rate on something with that sort of distance on a run play is so high. And on a pass play, you're looking at something closer to 50%, maybe 60%, but you might be going from an 80% conversion rate down to like a 55, 60% conversion rate just off of your play decision. And those, I mean, those things are going to add up. And I, even, even the Bengals had one where they went with the bootleg and it worked out for Zach Taylor, where they, they had the fourth and inches that they ended up, you know, converting the big play and winning the game. But I think over the course of a season, if you have a mindset in these, 
situations where running is far more favorable than passing that you're going to throw the ball a lot. It's going to catch up to you at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in some of these plays, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily the case with those decisions that you mentioned. Um, I remember, I think the, I was watching the, just, just random anecdotal stuff like the Packers. I think they converted a fourth and one or less than one and they ended up passing the ball and then they converted that um, in the, against the saints. I, my assumption is that coaches are, more affected than they should be by either the perception of whether their offensive line is better than the defense in, in those sorts of plays or what's already happened in the game, right? Like if, if you got stuffed a few times running the ball, maybe yeah. you're like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to run the ball, but they, you know, it's like that small sample problem. I, I, that's my, that's my suspicion. And I think maybe even psychologically, I think it hurts more if you hand the ball off and it kind of seems like you had no chance and you just get slammed three yards behind that. You're like, that was dumb. Why did I, why did I do that? Whereas, you know, if the quarterback rolls out, he's looking for a few options, he throws it. It's like, Oh, you know, we, we could have converted, but we didn't sort of thing. Like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt as much in some way as when a run play just gets totally stuffed. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair analysis. I think in general, if you look at some of the numbers, particularly if you have like a mobile quarterback, some of the read option stuff is really interesting on short yardage situations because you can sort of balance the numbers game up. Yeah. And I mean, for a while you had teams like Russell Wilson and, and Chris Carson, they would just run, it's third and two and they just run a zone read and you're either dealing with like a really powerful back getting downhill or you're trying to, deal with Russell Wilson on the edge when he only needs two yards. And I think that the data on a lot of that stuff supports, you know, factoring in the reads and making that more challenging to stop the run game. And even now you're seeing some of these teams mix in their athletic quarterbacks on third and shorts. Like uh, last night you had Mariota get in there for his own read and they ended up popping off a big gain. And I think more of that is probably coming just because of the challenge where it's turning into 11 on 11 football when you're reading a player. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Mariota might've got rocked on that place. <laughs> he didn't look so good. He needs to learn how to fall. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, that was, that was an interesting play there. And what, so what, when coming back to the Browns game here, one thing that I want to mention and both of these fourth down tries, I felt like there was number one, they're going, there's no timeouts. There's no thinking. There's no whatever. Like it seemed like they clearly knew what they were doing and going forward. And that's obviously hugely important in these situations. Number two, I don't know on the first one, how much the third down play call came into it. But on the second one, it was third and five from the 10 yard line. They ran the ball with, with hunt on a, I think it was a tossage sort of play, um, get it, got four and a half yards and then they went for it. So again, it was another play where they're kind of like, cause you're going to go for it that in that situation, if it's one yard, if it's two yards, probably if it's three yards, you know, cause you're on the eight, eight ish sort of yard line. I mean, you're on the seven sort of yard line. So I think you're going to go for it in a lot of situations there. So just getting those incremental yards was important. So I think that that set aside the one that I want to talk about though, is like I said, it was a harder fourth down decision anyway, but this play where it's third and 11 and I posted a screenshot so you could see kind of what the, what the actual defense was right before Mayfield threw the ball. He probably actually could have got it to, to Kareem hunt for even an easier yards here, but the, the chiefs play back everything. They left everything underneath the, a no defender on this play is really set up um, inside of the yard to gain. Um, so they're, they're basically saying, we're going to give you some yards here. 
so they, they can get, they ended up getting seven. I feel like they could have gotten like nine or 10 if they went to hunt up at the top instead. But anyway, they're giving them seven, eight yards on this, on this sort of play when it's third and 11. So my question is, do you think like on a third and 11, you should be thinking in advance. If you're, if you're, if you're the chiefs, are you thinking, you know what, if they're playing soft, make sure we have options where we can just take seven, eight, nine yards here and go for it on fourth down number one. And number two, um, do you think that defenses need to maybe start thinking about this more? Uh, like just, just playing these sorts of playing these coverages. If, you know, assuming that teams are going to, if you're playing against a Stefanski, maybe we don't give him uh, eight, nine yards on a third and 11 where we might do that for another team. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this right now. And I would say that in general, I would be, I've seen teams get burnt being too aggressive on some of these third and longs. And it's, the most deflating thing ever where you get a team in a situation where you really should be winning the down and your guys creep up too much and, and the ball goes over the top. And what it actually looks like here, do you have the screenshot on in front of yeah, you right now? Yeah. So, yeah. I can't say for sure. Cause I, I'm not watching the full video, but it looks like, um, does Baker Mayfield end up throwing to this guy at the 15 yard line? Yeah, yeah, he ends up throwing to the tight end down there. Yeah, yeah, you're oh, right. There, there's a potential like cover two, like corner sort of shot that he could yeah, have gone so with a is, touchdown. This is actually, well, check this out. So, so basically, um, I'm not sure why Baker Mayfield's getting that ball out at that time because the read here. So they're playing cover two, and what the Browns are doing is they're, they're they have a guy you know sitting up and basically draining that hook defender. That is yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're, and, and we yeah, have a custom, yeah. like a concept that we would coach defensively. And it's funny because I actually know the linebackers coach for the Chiefs, and he's probably having a heart attack rewatching this tape. But um, particularly on these longer distances, you tell your linebackers don't bite the cheese. That was our narrative because the idea was they're going to try to drain the one of these underneath defenders and pull them out of their spot. And so what it looks like is you have an outside dig from the guy lined up at number one down here. And yeah. when, when you run that, say, you know, eight yard curl route or whatever, that what's happening is you, you really don't want your linebacker there or your, your coverage player to step up and take that. Because if you're playing a spot drop zone, like Tampa two, if you vacate, then they have this dig route coming in from behind and he's, it's going to be wide open. So if Baker, because it doesn't really look like Baker's pressured here at the time that he's throwing the ball, my coaching point to him would be, why are we not throwing to the, to the dig? Because it's about to be wide open. This might be a little deceptive though, because I did clip this when he's already in his throwing motion. So the defender might know that at that, he like, he might see Baker really locked in and that's when he gets, he gets sucked up. Right. That, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, you're fair, right. I think in general, but that's what Stefanski is likely calling here. Yeah. Trying yeah. to basically um, occupy that defender yeah, and then yeah. have the dig in behind it. And if you look at it, that the, the middle read player is, is going, is out of the play. Like you can yeah, see. He's yeah. He's, he's going, he's going, and it looks like Landry. I think that's Landry coming across there. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and so you that's know, actually the read there. And it looks like it was a good play call. And, and maybe for whatever reason, they got the ball out quick. Maybe there was some kind of pressure that you can't see here, but it doesn't look like he, the, the quarterback is really getting pressured at this point. True. It doesn't look like the quarterback is getting pressure. I mean, you don't want to fumble it there, but this is actually a play where, 
taking a short sack is not the worst thing ever, at least from a field goal perspective. So yeah, like holding it, knowing if you take a short sack versus upping your chance of converting is probably pretty, pretty big there too. Um, Interesting. Right. Interesting. But, but the larger point that I'm trying to make here is like, well, look, look, if you look at hunt at the top of the screen, right. So they're just giving him, they're going to give him, uh, however, you know, six, seven, eight yards. So you're, you're saying that maybe that's a little bit of an overplay thing. Cause I was kind of even thinking later in the game. And this is when I was going to talk about some of the things that I might've done differently. If I was Stefanski, there were a couple of calls later in the game where, they had like a third and seven and the chiefs changed up their defense. The chiefs were playing man on both of the, the third downs later, there was a third and 12 and a third and seven, but on the third and seven, like they did this max protect only had three guys go out. Not all of them are going really long. And the reality is like, if you get even four yards there, um, five yards, I know maybe teams would never do it, but if you're up by a couple of points, against the chiefs and it's like fourth and one on your own 35, I'd go for it. I would actually go for it there. Um, So I'm kind of wondering like how play callers should think about this whole third down uh, picking up converting versus picking up the incremental yards that you need to go for it on fourth down from a passing perspective. Yeah. I I would say in general that I would be a little bit concerned about almost over playing for the fourth down. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys that are, that can, that are going running routes that are (laughs) capable of getting the first down, particularly just to kind of talk about this whole idea of, okay, it's first and second down and you're trying to just get more first downs as opposed to so many teams are sitting there in in second and long and they're trying to create third and manageable and they're actually calling plays accordingly. While the data would support, stop doing that. Just call plays to get the first down and if you have to check the ball down, fine. But when your first read is a, a four-yard play on second and, and 12, and then it's open and you throw it. Like, I think uh, yesterday the Raiders had something like that where they rip a ball out into the flat to the fullback on a second and long. And my perspective is basically, okay, that's cool that it's open, but why is the play design on that situation with a goal of getting a few yards to bring up a third and manageable? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, so, I think it depends on your quarterback probably somewhat too. Like Derek Carr, you don't want to give him any, any choices well, to check I, it I, out. Derek, I, th- I, I think Derek Carr is, you know, people's – Derek Carr had, had, did some great things last night. I mean, I know, but he was – there were a lot of check downs. I mean, I, I mean I, I'll give you credit. I mean, I, I, get, I know that, like, the commentators were trying to, be, trying to be good about it. But, he, I mean, he does have a tendency to check it down a little bit. Yes, I think that – I think there's a balance there too where, okay, if I was – if I was working for the Raiders, the first thing I'm trying to give coach Gruden and Derek Carr is showing him that cool, we're completing passes and and we're getting yards, but so many of these schemes that we're running are not generating enough yards in the past game. And can we, you know, focus more on our schemes that can generate more yards. And that would be my critique because I actually think that Derek Carr is making the correct read on a lot of the plays, but the read is to get the ball out quick for a short game. And my perspective is like perspective would be, let's design more things to get the ball down the field. And then if you have to check it down, you check it down. But when the first yeah. read to get the ball out quick and he sees it and does that, but it's, you know, gaining you two yards on first and 10, why can't we have some stuff where the first read on first and 10 is 10, 20, 15 yards. You know what I mean? And I think just to go back to this chiefs play that you're talking about, ultimately um, the quarterback has to make a pre-snap read, at least how they're coaching it. 
and they got the coverage that they wanted, I think. So when you see how Kareem might be open up at the top of the screen, ultimately they're, they're trying to work that concept to try to get that dig behind, yeah. the, behind that curl route and pull up that defender. And really the read is from his standpoint is okay. If the, the defender plays off, that's when I rip the ball to the tight end or whoever's sitting there at, at like eight yards. Yeah. For the throw route. If, if, the defender steps up. That's when I rip it behind to Landry for the dig and we get a first down, but that's why that that's why on the snap he's working, he's looking that way. And I think sometimes from like a media perspective or like a viewer perspective, they might see somebody open and be, and be thinking, okay, why did the quarterback not throw there? But the reality is they have a concept working on one side and it's hard to just jump instantly to your fifth option. Mm-hmm particularly when, when the concept that you're watching or that you're trying to read originally looks like it's going to work. Does that make sense? No, that, that makes sense. You know, it's funny. He actually, I mean, whatever, I don't want to get too much into like the details of his play, but he looks initially at what's going to be that like corner route, like the guy who's maybe he can beat the cover to in there. And then he turns quickly to then, to then look to the, to the bottom of the screen. So, but yeah, I think he just quickly looked that off. So you're right. He would have had to go back up to, to, to hunt afterwards. So it would have been, um, a little bit yeah, more it's tougher to do than, than more complicated. Think. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Trust me. I know I've, I've posted something on Twitter before where I was like, Hey, this guy's open. And man, people are just like, they're waiting to get in there and dunk on someone with PFF and their handle to be like, Oh, the reads actually here, 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 here. And then, you know, so people, you know, yeah, it's like death. It's like, don't, I'd never comment. <laughs> I'll never comment on Twitter here. They can't dunk on a podcast at least. So I can talk about that yeah, here, yeah. here with you. Um, and then just to quickly get into some of the more like, number side of things. So Andy Reed, he had a fourth and two that was um, from the 10 where he was down eight points uh, after that first touchdown and he decided to kick the field goal. So we, I, I have that about as like a two and a half, three percent loss there. Um, so if you combine like that with the decisions that the Browns made on the two point conversion on the fourth and three on the fourth and one, you add all that together. It's like a 10% win probability gain ish. And just to give people some perspective on that, when you look at the biggest plays in the game, like I mentioned that 75 yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill, that was an 18% gain in win probability. If you think of the the Nick Chubb fumble, which was the second biggest one, that was a 17% loss in win probability for the, the chiefs. And, but, but again, once you get into the third biggest play, and this is the fourth down play where Landry ends up scoring, this is the third biggest play in terms of EPA. Uh, we're talking about that only being uh, 7% change in win probability and so on and so forth. So a lot of these bigger plays are still around that 10-ish sort of, sort of range. So you're basically giving yourself like a big play for free by making these decisions correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I think in general, um, particularly with Coach Reed, it's a situation where He's been doing things for a long time in a certain way, and he's an amazing coach. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's won a Super Bowl, and he's got a dominant offense. And while the data would support doing something different, he has a way of doing things, and he's had success doing those things. And I don't think that he's going to change unless the Chiefs start struggling. Does that make sense? Yeah, like no, maybe, no, it definitely makes sense. And, and, and ultimately, these guys have a way of doing things that has worked for them, and they have their own style. And I think also it, it creates an interesting dynamic when you do have variation between strategies among teams. It almost would be boring at the NFL if everyone was robotic and just 
when <laughs> the exact same four it's like, situations. It's interesting. There, there's a famous, there's, wait, uh, I'll just say real quick. There's a famous tweet where I forget who it was. It was like a, a Mavericks beat guy said, Hey, you know, t- take your best analytics team versus another best analytics team. You only win 50% of the time. So what's, what's the yeah. point? Like, let's see, <laughs> there's analytics. Analytics doesn't even help basically. So I thought that was funny, but anyway, that, that's kind of what it reminded me of when the, when the robots take over. Right. Nice. Um, and I think, yeah, the magnitude is, is, is definitely significant. And I think most models would agree with what you're saying in terms of how to handle those decisions. And I would pretty much sign off on all of those as well. The other yeah. thing that's sort of interesting that you can maybe, maybe make a case for coach Reed would be, he knows that his offense is so ridiculously good that he doesn't want to take any variance early on in the game, just knowing that three points is adequate because he just wants to avoid the scenarios where he's getting zeros because he knows ultimately he's going to score 30 or whatever. And um, as the favorite, you can make that whole case. Okay. We're a favorite team. Maybe we're taking on less variance in general. I think I still personally would go for those particularly with Mahomes and everything, but maybe that's a case you could also make that you just sort of you're, you're willing to take a little bit lower win probability, a little bit lower expected points on average to just avoid the, the very negative outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're like playing to stay, like to stay in the game or to stay within reach, your reach is pretty long. If you're the Kansas city yeah. chiefs, right. Yeah. <laughs> like you, have, you have like taco fall style reach. Um, if, if you're the Kansas city Chiefs, so I could see that could play into it, even though you would think it would only be a factor on the side of going for it because of your increased like probability of conversions and, and things like that. So, yeah, so I, I definitely agree with that. Do you want to talk a little bit about this end of the half thing only briefly, because it's like, so they didn't. So the 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 play was the Browns had the ball um, on their own. Their own four no their own forty you know forty three yards to go. So yeah, I think they're on for their own forty three yard line, and yeah. it was fourth and thirty one. So I don't I don't I don't remember how they got into it. I think it was like penalties and a sack or something. Um, and Reed did not call a timeout. In, on this play where there was, let me see how much time exactly was left on this. It looks like they did a, it looks like they, there was 28 seconds left and Baker was sacked. So let's say there would have been 20 something seconds left. He did not call a timeout. Cleveland, very smart. I didn't even think about this. They called a timeout, even though it was fourth down with three seconds left and then ran this play where they were, uh, I don't know if it was an option play. Like they either do a hail Mary if there's a three man rush or, and then they run this kind of like uh lateral sort of uh big play Cal versus Stanford sort of thing going on. If they brought pressure, which they did. Um, but I thought that was a very smart play by Stefanski too. Cause they seem to like really know that that was the thing to do and, and immediately do that, even though it was fourth down, but Reed not doing on the other end. What, what was your diagnosis of this whole situation? So uh, we had some situations like this come up with the Eagles And to me, it was always important for me to communicate to the coach exactly why we were doing what we were, why I would recommend doing what we were doing. And it was good because coach Peterson was an offensive coach. So say we're on defense, but I could sit there and, you know, we could talk on the offensive headset and sort of walk through this situation. But basically when the Browns are, are uh, in the huddle on third down or discuss it or whatever, they break the huddle on third down. I'm talking to the head coach and basically communicating that the, the decay of time 
is not going to benefit both teams. It's either going to benefit the Browns or it's going to benefit the chiefs. So mm-hmm. uh, understanding that the chiefs basically have uh, nothing to, the, the, the Browns have nothing to lose to just let the clock go down and call a timeout. The, yeah. the chiefs have some things to gain by instantly calling timeout and forcing a decision. What if there's a shanked punt? What if they set up, you know, they double both the gunners and they set up a return for Tyreek Hill, who might be the best return guy you could ever possibly imagine. What if yeah. they try to block the punt? What if um, some some kind of penalty happens on the on the punt or whatever? There, there's all sorts of outcomes that could occur. Maybe you don't even want to put anybody back there, whatever. But just forcing their hand. I think there was a play a couple of years ago where the Vikings or somebody didn't call timeout with like 45 seconds, and the clock ran down to five seconds. And the team that was on offense was on like the 40 yard line. And the, and I think the reason that the other team didn't call timeout is they're, they're, they're concerned. Okay. We call timeout. Maybe they go for it. Maybe they attempt a 58 yard field goal or whatever. But the idea was if you don't do anything, then it's just a huge advantage to the offense and they can just let the clock run down and make their own decision. But if you call timeout immediately, you really force their hand. Like say you call timeout with 45 seconds or you call timeout say this situation occurred at the positive 40 yard line and um, Cleveland would have just let the clock run down to three seconds and then just attempt like a 58 yard field goal. But if you rip the timeout right away, Cleveland would definitely be spooked on attempting that long of a field goal and say, it's still like fourth and 20 or fourth and 30 or whatever. Most likely you're forcing them into a punt. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think there's like an interesting, I didn't even think about this until you started mentioning this. There's like an interesting game theory sort of thing going on here where even in your decision-making, if the other team has a timeout and they're not going to use it, they're going to keep it in their pocket, then you know it's to their benefit for the clock to run, if that makes sense, right? Right. So yeah, you should always a- call a timeout in that situation if the other team has a timeout and is not calling it. Yeah. Like assuming that they're rational, assuming they're rational. There's like weird situations where, okay, maybe if a team kneels right before half, there's might be a certain situation where both teams feel like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The clock going down doesn't really help them, but for the most part, the the, the decay, the decay of the clock is benefiting one side or the other. So it's like giving this perspective that, okay, one team is happy. This clock is going down. The other team should, should not also be happy. (laughs) Something is just not, not really adding up. Um, but yeah, it's sort of an interesting dynamic there. I, that's another thing in terms of like game management stuff that particularly if I was an underdog or I had a lead in the second half that I think teams don't really factor in enough is just using more of the play clock between snaps when you're on offense, not saying that you have to let the clock go down to one second every time, but I see these teams, you know, maybe they're winning by 11 points or 16 points in the third quarter and they're ripping off snaps with 18, 19 seconds on the play clock. And unless you really, really feel like being no huddle is such a massive benefit that it outweighs the time decay that you could get, I would certainly not snap the ball any higher than, you know, seven, eight seconds on the play clock and just use the clock and, um, you know, shorten the game. But it happens every single week. You see these teams that are leading by significant margins and all of a sudden something happens or something changes in the game. And they really wish that there was less time on the clock because the other team is making a comeback, but it's kind of an interesting discussion too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this is kind of, this is, I mean, this is the good stuff to get into, right. Is to, is to think about all of these different things. And especially it's a little bit of a, of a unique 
perspective we're hoping here to to go over it i guess from a from a large point standpoint on the game you know obviously the decision making like i said that's a that's a big advantage the fumble and the muffed punt and the you know, somewhat fluky touchdown. I guess you can never call a 75 yard touchdown from Mahomes to Tyreek Hill to be a little bit fluky. So you combine all those things. I do think there's a lot of reasons for Cleveland to be happy about the performance there, even with the loss, even though some people were framing it as like, it was so deflating because they did everything right. And they still lost, Um, you know, not, not like getting unlucky. I'd rather get unlucky and lose than get lucky and still lose basically, if that that makes sense. So from my perspective, I think that's, that's still good for them. Uh, let, let me hit, hit our second ad here. Uh, fan tracks for those who've been listening to it, you know, that it's a new fantasy football platform. We're doing it at PFF. They have player salary and contract options, uh, bonus for TDs. You can auto generate player salaries on there. You can get a free account now at fantracks.com slash PFF and win a regular season trip to a game of your choice, plus $6,000 for your entire league. That's promo code PFF fantracks.com slash pff and also DraftKings. week one may be over but the season is just getting started at DraftKings. DraftKings is giving new customers 200 in free bets instantly when they bet one dollar in any football game uh head-to-head DraftKings sportsbook app now place one dollar on any week two game to receive 200 in free bets instantly DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposits Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets. You must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. One per customer. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, I'm going to talk real quickly about some of the numbers for other performances and games here. I thought that there were three games that popped off to me as being ones where maybe if you just had a cursory glance at it, or you're listening to the, the digest the week after you might have a a poor impression of versus what actually happened. in in my opinion, the first is the Patriots and the dolphins. I think this was a big matchup because it's within the, within the division, Uh, the bills lost it's Miami is like a team that's kind of ascending, although they're pretty similar as far as their probability to win the division, according to so different odds. Uh, so Miami won 17 to 16, but a few, few different things I point out. Number one, uh, Patriots lost by a point, but they had two big fumbles. Both of them are fairly, you know, on the random side, one on a running play from Damian Harris, another on a reception, which was then fumbled by Ramondre Stevenson. Those are like 10, 12 points of loss here um, that we're talking about from those two plays. Uh, Number two is that Mac Jones played better than Tua, according to our grading, according to efficiency, he had one turnover worthy play, but it was a very strange play early in the game where I think he got a little discombobulated and he thought that he was throwing it at the feet of the receiver. So it would be like to avoid intentional grounding, but it was backwards. So it ended up actually being a, a fumble that they, they then recovered. So they didn't lose it, but Tua had a couple of turnover worthy plays. One of them actually being intercepted. Um, they're both were pretty equal on everything else. So I thought that was a, that was an interesting game there. And we talked about Belichick last week and these fumbles. So What's going to happen to these guys? Are they is he are they transferred off to Siberia now? Basically, I would say, particularly with the rookie, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's I made a joke I, afterwards. See, you, see you in twenty twenty two for to, the, to this yeah, rookie. Yeah. Um, so, 
I, I, I mentioned this, you know, there's, there's a non-zero chance that Brandon Bolden gets 20 carries next week. <laughs> JJ Taylor gets, you know, 15 touches or JJ Bolden, Bolden got some run in that game. At the yeah, end of and that game. the reason he did there, I guarantee they had no plans whatsoever. Oh yeah. To take a snap on offense, but he's in the running back room and he knows the offense. And the second, those other two guys <laughs> had those issues, then he's, he's earning himself a role. And I think Belichick realizes that he'll take, you know, a, a runner that is far more limited. And as long as they don't fumble that, that can get you fairly far in the NFL, because just I mean, like you talked about uh, Stevenson and uh, Damian Harris, they might, it might take them, you know, several weeks of, of good runs to, to make up for the, the win probability loss that they cost the yeah. team the first yeah. game. And, and that's real. And I think Belichick is, does a great job of really, you know, explaining the magnitude of the fumbling problems to the team and creating a punishment environment where there are bad things that happen if you do fumble. And at one point you can, you can emphasize coaching it and you can, you know, always talk about ball security, but to some degree having some kind of punishment to, to hopefully prevent that from occurring in the future is probably good. And I would say, you know, just from Mac Jones looking pretty good, their defense looked like it was pretty good. The Buffalo bills looked questionable. That was sort of a surprise. The Jets yeah. didn't look great. Uh, Miami, I would still say, was whatever. So, so they won the game, but it wasn't anything great. If I was a Patriots fan right now, I'm looking at this and saying that we have a good chance of winning this division. Maybe even better than going into the season after one game, just based on how the first week has transpired and what Mac Jones showed. And I could also see, you know, New England going the next 14 games with zero fumbles or something because Belichick's going to bring it up every single team meeting for the, for the next like <laughs> decade that they lost the game because of fumbling. Yeah. So, he's probably just into it. The clicker like just rewinding over and over again. on Yeah. That, the yeah. short-term loss is like a long-term gain because they're going to just be so obsessively ball secured. Like they're going to just obsess over ball security to an even greater degree after what just happened. And yeah. as a result, maybe they, you know, avoid fumbles going forward here. Wait, wait, I, I actually, this reminded me of one theory re the Patriots I was very dubious of, but maybe I'll, I want to get your perspective on this. It's not about fumbling, which I think one other thing I'll mention about fumbling, we always talk, we talked about why it's so damaging because there's no upside, but another fact that it's so damaging is like, it's normally on first down or it's on yeah. like second and you're in good position, right. For a running back to fumble. So that's why they're, they're so, so costly. Both of those fumbles were on first and 10, by the way, that happened. So that's why it's, it's so bad. Um, there was this thing about the Patriots. I don't know if it applies in the Mac Jones era or in the Cam Newton era, but there was always this thing of, oh, the Patriots are almost trying, not that trying to start slow, but they're not trying that hard to win or something earlier in the season, or, or they're not, they're not trying hundred percent to win because they're like saving things to use later on. And they're experimenting early in the season where they may not be later. You know, I don't know. I feel like wins are so valuable in the NFL, especially when you're trying to get that bye week that I was never really believed in this theory, but you know, maybe Belichick's got some real Jedi stuff going on that I don't, that I don't, that even I cannot comprehend. And I thought maybe we're like, people were fitting that narrative into the fact that sometimes they started slowly. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I do think there's something to it that, I mean, they made the playoffs so many consecutive years and had so many critical playoff games that if they had something that they really thought was a game changer yeah, and they felt so good about their team, they were saving that stuff for the playoffs. Right. 
they would know more than another team that there's a benefit to saving it essentially. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I can remember against the Jaguars, they had some fakes against, you know, or playing them in the Super Bowl. They had some unusual fakes. They had the shenanigans. I actually was at the game where they, it was the Ravens Patriots and they did the, the, uh, ineligible running back lined up in line. That one that basically yeah. John Harbaugh freaked out and they ended up having to like ban the rule. But I mean, they, that was, they did it in the playoffs for a reason. They clearly probably had that in preseason and repped it. And they said, yo, this is, this is pretty good. <laughs> this is, we're going to save this. Where we really need it. So they're down four. I can remember the game, particularly they're playing the Ravens. It was in Foxborough. I'm at the game. They're down 14 points and they start doing that. And people's heads are exploding. And then I believe either the next drive or the previous drive, they ran uh, a trick play where uh, Edelman threw a touchdown or whatever or to Danny, something like that. But they, they say they do save these, these plays that they really think are going to work in yeah. my opinion to the, for the playoffs. Um, and the question is, well, can they do that anymore? Probably not with their current state of the franchise. They just got to try to win games. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, do, you don't know you're going to the playoffs, but um, that reminds me, that's why, Taco Fall. He comes on during the during the Super Bowl. <laughs> during the middle of the Super Bowl. <laughs> during the middle of the Super Bowl. No one has any idea that he's there. And he comes. He comes out. Uh, that would be. That, that's my plan there. Uh, actually, wait, let me hit one more ad read here before I get to the, the last couple of games here. The last one is for Western and Southern. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like when should we start to think about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them backed by over 130 years of experience. Together, we can look ahead and leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments, compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, so a couple more things I want to talk about. Uh, one Justin Herbert popped up on my radar last year. He was the perform under pressure guy versus clean pocket. So number one under pressure, uh, number 20, something under clean pocket this week, he shows up where you can kind of substitute in third down for under pressure and early downs for clean pocket. He was the second best EPA per play over 1.2 points per third down. They converted roughly five more third downs than you would have expected. They had a massive number of third downs, 21 third downs. They converted 15 of them as a team. Um, and he had a pretty bad numbers early, although I think he played. Okay. He had a free, he had a fluky fumble that went out the back of the end zone because it was tipped as he was bringing his arm forward. So there's, he had another interception, but anyway, what, what do you think about this from, from Herbert? Because he's a guy that's going to, in a similar way, maybe to Wentz in 2017, he's a guy where he makes these plays, but you look at it and you go, ah, you know, like he's very skilled. He's a very skilled guy. So maybe he can continue to do these sorts of things. How would you look at that? Um, I would be a little bit concerned. I, I witnessed the Wentz deal where he, he was sort of average or in some cases below average on first and second downs and then just off the charts on third down, off the charts on fourth down. And that came crashing back down to earth eventually. And most data would support that first and second downs when you have a clean pocket is probably the most predictive of how, of how future performance is going to go. And I wouldn't get too caught up in the first game just because at the same time, the Redskins are pretty sorry. Washington football team is a pretty yeah. good, uh, pretty good defense. We'll get a name. We'll get a name soon, hopefully. Yeah, um, they're a pretty good defense, and and it's hard to say in particular how much that weighed into it. I don't get too caught up with week one performances in general. I think there's some value to it, but to just take the raw numbers and say 
make any like blanket statements about any players. If we're doing that, then, you know, Aaron Rodgers needs to be benched. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like there it's uh we'll see. I think to me, I actually think this, the second game is really where you start to figure out some things, particularly because teams really don't know what they're, what's going to happen week one. Maybe there's some surprise schemes and things like that. Now some teams have put out some film and things like that. And if you have back-to-back games where you don't look good or you look great, you're starting to really get a feel for your team. And um, I think this weekend you start to get the sample of snaps for every team that, that things start to become a little bit more useful and predictive teams aren't really keeping too many things for week three. Most of their main schemes and concepts are going to pop up in weeks one and two, and maybe some, they have some special stuff planned for certain teams and defenses, but for the most part, the stuff that they're going to run is going to start popping up and they're they're probably going to show, show it over the course of these first two games. So this weekend to me is really valuable in terms of getting a feel. And if you, just from being with the team, there's no worse feeling than starting off the season with the loss. You, you're everyone in the building, the, the media that you turn on the radio and they want everyone fired. And just the entire atmosphere, all the players are questioning themselves. Coaches are questioning. People are staying up extra late trying to game plan for the next game. There's a lot of stress that builds up and you start to get the season with a win. And it's like Super Bowl time. And it's just such a ridiculous contrast. And I think that teams like New England historically have done such a good job of just locking in and basically just creating this mindset that every single game is a grind. We have to bring it all. I've been a part of a team where I feel like our team wasn't as prepared for a certain week because we had been coming off a win or we were maybe more prepared the next week because we were coming off a loss. I do think there's some magnitude there where the players sort of get complacent or maybe they go party or I don't know how many players are partying now, but maybe they go get drunk or something. <laughs> I think after. they're partying now. I, I, I think they're back to partying. That's why. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't know what the, if they are partying then uh, and going to bars and stuff after a 1 PM win, then get ready for dozens <laughs> of players to start popping as positive vaccinated cases, because that is going to happen if they're going out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not like, well, it's interesting. This is very anecdotal, but as part of that Peyton Manning broadcast, they were talking to Russell Wilson. He, he was talking about playing in Indianapolis and they were, they were making some joke about, you know, he's not going to be welcome there anymore after that performance and St. Elmo's, which is a steakhouse there. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, I went out to St. Elmo's on Saturday night. I'm like, well, these guys are still going out. I mean, the quarterback is still going out to a restaurant uh, right. the night before the game. It's not like he, there's not like, you know, it, 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 he's doing something, getting drunk or doing whatever, but it's still like potentially exposing yourself to getting, to getting COVID right. Where I don't necessarily expect these guys to limit, live a hermit lifestyle, but eh, maybe it's not necessary. Maybe get some room service. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mentioned this somewhere, but I am very, unfortunately I'm pessimistic that a lot of vaccinated guys are going to get COVID over the course of the season at unexpected times. And I'm certainly on the side of the NFL PA where the, the vaccinated players at this point realistically should get tested every single day. If the goal is to just, you know, prevent players being lost from or prevent games being lost as if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But in a, in a way, I think they might be like doing this. If we don't test them, then we don't find them in a, in a way. Right. <laughs> right. I, I think that's fair, but there also is a chance of a catastrophic outbreak occurring because yeah. of this. So say yeah, yeah. players get exposed on Sunday night and they would have theoretically tested positive on, I don't know, Monday. I don't know all the logistics. I'm not yeah, a doctor, yeah. but like say they would have got tested positive for Monday or Tuesday and they don't do their COVID test until Saturday every week. Yeah. And 
two guys get positive on would have been positive on Tuesday. They're in the building. They're not wearing masks. They're in meetings. They're not social distance. Next thing yeah. you know, 14 guys by Friday pop. And if most of your team is vaccinated, you won't even know until you have your weekly test. And then yeah. all of a sudden, unfortunately, Adam Schefter might tweet out one of these Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have 26 people on the COVID list like, because they just don't know if that's like, I actually would, this sounds silly to me, but I would almost see that there's somewhat of a benefit if some of your players or some of your staff are unvaccinated just because of the testing frequency that you would be able to pick up on something like this sooner. I'm not, I'm not, that doesn't, okay, that's I, see, not, I, I see the galaxy brain. I see the galaxy brain. But, but at least it's here. giving you some probability of picking up on this stuff. Or if, if the players can like voluntarily elect to get tested every yeah. day, say that yeah. if I was a team and I was trying to win games and I wanted to ensure no outbreaks occurred, I would just take on the burden myself. And I'm sure you could, sure like, I'm sure you could, the players might not agree to it necessarily, but you couldn't force the players to do it. But yeah, I think some of the play, yeah, I think it, if it was voluntary, I think some of the players want it though. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. There definitely are some, there definitely are some that, that want it there. Some, yeah, but we'll see about that. I mean, just to get back quickly to, um, I don't remember where we were. Oh yeah. So for for this, yeah. So for the the Chargers game, not, not a big deal with Herbert. Um, he graded pretty well, despite, I think he had the fourth highest grade, despite the fact. So he actually didn't even perform as well on an EPA per dropback basis as you would expect based upon his PFF grade, despite he playing, playing so well on third down. So yeah, I'm not that concerned about it, but I think a lot of people are going to focus on that fluky uh, fumble that he had out of the back of the end zone. When Antonio Gibson fumbled the ball on the four yard line on first and 10, uh, mm-hmm. not good. Right. So that's another thing. That's a, that's a huge play there. Uh, and the last game I want to hit probably not the most exciting game, but for people who are watching Carolina versus the jets, uh, there was a fumbled exchange for Donald where they lost a bunch of points they could not convert a third down to save their lives. So maybe it's just that Darnold is awful and the Panthers defense is awful, but they should have got another few conversions than what they got. They were so bad there. Um, they won 1914, but the Jets scored outscored them 14 to three in the second half when the win probability was, you know, 90% plus the entire time. So all those things kind of, kind of jumped out to me as, as being things to, to watch. Is there anything else about, I don't know, this game or other stuff that you want to, do you want to talk about, or should we uh, go ahead and wrap up for this week? I would say just from the, the Jets game, uh, yeah. Robert Sal is a, he's a great defensive coach. And, and if you can get these guys in third down and pass situations, he's going to come up with some great schemes to get after it. And I think I, I didn't particularly pay close attention to the game just because there were some other more interesting games going on. Yeah. But I think he'll, he'll come up with some good stuff and some good rush plans and creative things to, you know, keep those percentages down and keep the maybe outperform expectations on, you know, third downs of what, you know, the success rate would have projected to be. But um, thought it was kind of, I thought it was, you know, great that Darnold and Robbie Anderson hit him with the, the long touchdown, yeah. like, you know, the, the retaliation touchdown. That's always nice. Um, yeah. I just think, you know, the, the, the one thing that I'm sort of taking a peek at is what the hell is going on with the green Bay situation. Yeah. Um, you got, you got a conspiracy theory ready, ready for, for this one. I don't know. It <laughs> for, for, for an offense to be that dominant, to look like they were that, bad. And I think Dennis Allen's a good defensive coach and I think they had a good game plan. And one thing I'll say is that I have sort of witnessed this and this is a, this is 
not a conspiracy, but this is just kind of a feel thing that I'd be interesting to study. But I think these good offenses really get frustrated if the opposing team is taking a ridiculous amount of time off the game clock on all their drives. I think that the the Packers got the ball for the third time under the two minute warning because the saints were just taking a ridiculous amount of time and consistently just, you know, 15 play drives or whatever. And they, they, and, they had some fourth down conversions too. They had yeah. the fourth down touchdown. They had another play. Well, actually, wait, 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 sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you too much there, but yeah. um, just one thing here, this is another one where I'm not sure if this was the correct thing that they did here, but I thought it was very interesting that they had, okay. So they had, well, let me see my notes on this. So they had the ball on third and 13 where it was near midfield, or I think they were on there. They're on the, the, the Packers 40 something. And they ran the ball on third and 13, picked up six yards and then went for it on fourth down after that. And they converted. Right. But I thought that was a pretty interesting sequence of a sequence of events because like, that's really saying, Hey, we're, we're, we're maybe running the ball to then you, you would assume that that's just like a run to, and then you're done and six yards is an okay pickup, but it's not a huge pickup. So do you think that was a purposeful thing? Maybe that they decided they were going to run. If they got at least five yards, they would go for yeah. it after that. I'm trying to pull up. Do you know where, where it was in the game? I want to pull up the what yard line it ended up being. Yeah. Let, let me, let me look it up here because I think it ended up being somewhere around the 45 ish. I want to say yard line is where they, they ended up at, but okay, I got here. I got it. It's, it's fourth and seven. They ended in fourth and seven from the 41. 41. So they're even closer there. Yeah. So it would have been a 58, 59 yard field goal. So they couldn't really do the field goal. So it's right on that. I, I, yeah, I, I would have that, you know, you're playing against Aaron Rodgers. Maybe you think you're an underdog. I would have that as a, as a go for it. I think it is. I think it is a go for it, but what do you think about the decision? I think it is a go for it, but what do you think about the decision to run though, rather than like yeah, when, when they're a little bit further back. So let, let's say they were, they picked up six yards. So they they were on the 47 yard line, third and 13, and they ran the ball. Yeah. I think that that's, it was a creative move. And what I would say is you, it, it would be interesting to look at the actual game film to see what led them to running the ball in third and 13. I would assume if it was a bad run look that they yeah. would not have run the ball, but in some cases on these third and longs, uh, the defenses are playing very soft or they're they're maybe they have like an overload rush and they're just completely outnumbered. If you run a simple run play. Yeah. And it's a little bit of like a chess match, chess match situation, but at the same time, that's a pretty good process by coach Payton. If say he had a number say, okay, if it's fourth and eight or less, I want to go for this. And so like, let's call this pass player, let's call this run or whatever. And if they give us a really soft look, let's just hand it off to Kamara and see how many yards he can get. And, let's just go for this fourth down. And um, yeah, no, I like it. Maybe, maybe it's like a Jameis thing too. You're like, I don't want Jameis to throw, Jameis wants to throw an interception on this third down. So let's like, I don't care if he throws an interception on fourth down, but I don't want him to throw an interception on this third down. So maybe we could do this one instead. Yeah. I, I think that just given the current state of the game, that, people are going for way too many long field goals right now. Yeah. yeah. And that um, though I I'd be going, going for more of those fourth downs in the 40 ish range. And unless it's like fourth and super long, I'm looking at going for more of those. And, 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 but of the three options, I'm almost picking punt over field goal on some of those, particularly if I have no clue what my 
field goal kicker can do, or I don't feel great about it, but yeah. quickest way that Aaron Rodgers getting back in the game there is that you, you know, kick a field, a shank, a field goal, or you get blocked or something like that. And it's a, all of a sudden he's got the ball at midfield as opposed yeah, to yeah. thing or, or, I mean, obviously you convert the fourth down, but that's also sort of what I'm talking about with the, the conversions, the fourth down conversions and the long extended drives and um, how that, you know, the Packers got stopped on two drives and you get stopped on a drive and then the opposing team takes 15 plays. It's your team starts pressing a little bit more and maybe your coordinators kind of gets a little bit nervous or, or starts, you know, pushing the buttons a little bit and thinking like, Oh man, wow. Like, look at this. We, we have no yards and it's halftime. And then they sort of get out of sorts or maybe they had, you know, a lot of runs in their game plan and they move away from that. And it turns into a one dimensional operation or they try to, you know, throw a deep shot to get some big yards quickly and it's a sack or things of that nature. But I think there's something to the idea that the offenses can start pressing a little bit if they don't play too well. And the other team is just taking a ridiculous amount of time off the clock. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happened. They, they couldn't run the ball and didn't really try to run the ball much. They were getting some pressure. They don't have, um, uh, Bakhtiari there. It was a bunch of different things all, all coming together. So, and, but props to, to, to Sean Payton, uh, making the right decisions there. Yeah. All right, man. So, uh, we got Thursday night. Like I said, I want more secrets coming out from you. I- I'm hoping for one, for one, at least one viral tweet re giants and then re Washington football team here on Thursday night. Uh, I want to appreciate everyone else tuning in. Ryan will be back here next week and I'll be talking with all of you guys uh, on Friday. Well, midday on Friday to review Thursday night and then also talk about the weekend's games. All right. Thanks everybody.